Thanks, buddy. Morning, guys. How are we doing? Good. Hey, uh, we're going to be in Numbers uh, chapter 14 today. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, you might want to pull the phone out and put it on silent anyhow and get to Numbers 14. It's the fourth book in the Old Testament, so go to Genesis and keep going. Four books, you'll find Numbers. We'll get there in just a little bit. I just want to add my uh, thank you. I've noticed lots. You're bringing the Operation Gift, uh, Christmas Chief, Gift Child boxes in today and uh, bringing those back. That's awesome. I, I think we still have some more empty boxes back there. And, you know, every year, hundreds, I think over 400 last year. I encourage you guys, before you leave today, grab one of those, grab the flyer. The, the instructions are back there. Take your kids with you. That's a cool thing to do is say, hey, we're going to go to Fred Meyer right after church and fill this up, and you're going to help me explain to them why and bring, bring it back next time. It'd be awesome. Um, I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about the most negative, critical person you know. Maybe it's somebody in your, you work with. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Hopefully it's not the person sitting next to you right now. And if it is, no rib poking allowed. But I, I want you to consider with me today, is it possible to recover from being a negative Ned or a Debbie Downer? That's the question we're going to unpack. Uh, I'm going to give you a little sneak insight here. Yes, it is. But a lot of us work with, live with, or maybe we are the Debbie Downer, the negative Ned. And I want to talk today about some things, we, practical things we can do to change. But to set the tone, let's watch this clip. Ever since they discovered mad cow disease, she says she's not taking any chances. You know, if you've been around somebody like that, the, De the Debbie Downer or the negative Ned, it seems like they just get a rush out of taking the joy out of every moment. Typically, they are what I refer to sometimes as VDPs or EGRs. VDPs, very draining people, or EGRs, extra grace required people. And, I, you know, I wish I could tell you that there are people like that are few and far between. Unfortunately, they're not. And I'm beginning to wonder if they're not the majority. Now, I fear that we as a nation, as a culture, become pretty cynical and pretty negative. And I, and I understand the why. You know, you can't watch the news. Obviously, the horrific uh, deaths, the terrible you know, thing that happened in Paris this, uh, last week breaks my heart. And, you know, we live in a culture now where news is 24-7. You get it instantly from anywhere around the world. And it's all the time. And the media has figured out that negative news sells, that it tends to be what we drift toward. And I think the reason for that, again, is because there's something in our culture that's, that's sick, that's negative, that's critical. And I understand, though, that if you're in the midst of something really hard, I'm, by no means am I taking light of that. Uh, there are horrific things that happen in our world. Yes, I know. My concern, though, is I think that we tend to get sucked into that and we become negative Neds or Debbie Downers, and that's not what God wants for us, especially for those of us that follow him. How did you turn to Numbers chapter 14? Uh, I'm going to give you a little background. Numbers 11. If you've ever read the book of Numbers, it's eh, not the most exciting book, in, on, you know, in the Bible probably. It's numbers, you know. If you like Numbers, read that book. But, but uh, chapter 11, there's uh, some negative stuff going on. The children of Israel, uh, they're complaining about the fact that they don't have any meat. Now, every day God shows up and gives them manna from heaven. I mean, literally drops it from heaven, they go out and collect it, they grind it up and turn it into flour, and, and that's how they ate. But they were complaining they didn't have meat, so God sent like 10 billion quails, and that didn't end so well for them either. But uh, that's in chapter 11. Chapter 12, uh, Miriam and Aaron, the uh, brother and sister of Moses, who's kind of the star in the story, uh, they are not happy with Moses' choice of a wife, and they're critical about that. That doesn't end well for Miriam. Well, eventually she comes out okay, but you know, God strikes her with leprosy for complaining against the anointed, against Moses. That's not good. 
Um, and then you get to chapter 13, and Moses says, okay, we're at the brink of moving into the promised land. He sends 12 guys in to spy out the land, to check it out. They come back, 11 of them. You, many of you grew up around the stories, they, but 11 guys come back, and say, oh, this is terrible, we're going to die, there are giants in the land. They were the, you know, the, the, the Debbie Downers, the negative nets. And they said all sorts of horrible things, grumbled and turned the whole camp against uh, Moses. And then uh, we get to chapter 14 here, and, and it gets worse. Let's read this. Verse, 14, uh, verse 1, Numbers 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. This is actually, they hear about the scouts report from the promised land. And the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled. Look up how many times this happens. You know, look up the word grumble or grumbled or murmured in the Old Testament. These guys were chronic grumblers. All the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord, you're just whining, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? This astounds me. And they said to one another, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. What are they saying? They said, let's get rid of Mo and let's, let's go back. Now, this is seriously unbelievable. If you've read anything about the story of the Israelites, you know that they spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. Miserable, not happy, in a horrible condition, building, you know, the, the, the things for the Pharaoh and making bricks, and it's a terrible life. And they come to this point where they say, oh, we ought to just go back to Egypt. Abused as slaves for generation after generation after generation. But now they're cynical and negative even after God set them free. Again, the story is incredible. Signs and wonders, miraculous things God did, time after time after time for the Israelites. And here they are now murmuring and complaining. They decide they want to go back to Egypt. I, uh, years ago, many, many years ago, I was a systems consultant for Security Pacific Bank. And I worked with a guy named Ted. Not Ned, but Ted. Terrible Ted, not negative Ned. But Ted was one of the grumpiest guys I've ever met in my life. He was one of those guys who never had a good day. You'd ask, you know, uh, Ted, hey, how's, you, how's it going? How are things going? And you, the second you said it, you'd regret even asking because he'd just go into this rant for minutes, you know, of how bad things are and how bad life is and all his problems. You didn't really care, but he told you. So you regretted even asking, hey, how you doing? He was a great programmer. As programmers go, he was actually very, very good. But the truth is nobody wanted to work with him because he was such a negative guy. Kind of reminds me of this guy. Maybe you recognize him. <laughs> I read lots of Winnie and Pooh. I'm a grandpa. But could be worse. Not sure how, but it could be. Now, I give the guy a little bit of a break. If I had a pin stuck in my butt all the time, I'd probably be happy too. But if you know the story of Eeyore that's pin the tail on the donkey. Okay, there. But anyhow, unfortunately, too many of us end up just like that. And if you know somebody like that, you know how emotionally draining they can be. They just suck the bone marrow right out of you. Now, here's the thing. If you ever take any psych classes, psych 101 in college, you have probably heard someone tell you that once someone gets to a certain age, their personality is set. That the, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, that grumpy people are going to be grumpy people. If that's where they are, that's what they are, that's, they're just locked into that particular personality, and there's no changing them. However, one of the things I love about God, and I truly do love him for this and believe in this, is that he has the power to transform us. God has the power through his Holy Spirit. See, when we become Christ's followers, 
The Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. I love talking with unbelievers because they go, oh, I don't want to be demon-possessed by God. No, it's not, it's not that. It's God begins, he lives, he dwells inside. The transformation that happens now happens from the inside out. God takes up residence in your soul, your mind, your heart. He lives in you. And we now become the temple, the Bible says, that residence for the Holy Spirit. What's great about that is that that means that we now have the power within us to change. And it changes us from the inside out. The worst pessimist, the, the most negative person, the hardest of hearts, can be changed. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing what I do. And I've seen God change thousands of people's lives. The Apostle Paul personally experienced this kind of change as well. Uh, he was a pretty harsh, mean dude who hated Christians, hated Christianity, was killing them, throwing them in prison, was not a happy camper by any means. And he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus, and it changed everything. But Paul experienced this transformation, which is why he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, I love this, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Paul knew firsthand. He experienced it firsthand. That transforming presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he says, we're being transformed with this ever-increasing glory. The King James, from glory to glory, he changeth me. You know, it's, we're, we're, we're in this process. As we focus and contemplate on Jesus, look to him, then he changes us from the inside out. Sometimes, and I have seen this happen, that even when someone has something deeply ingrained in their personality or some uh, really nasty habits, sometimes when they become Christ followers, they are radically and instantly changed. I've seen it. I've seen people just, boom, they just, I mean, like overnight, they become this incredibly different, new, free person. And it's awesome to see that. Often, however, in fact, I might even say generally, it's a process. The theological word for this is sanctification. I like the word transformation. It's God transforming us again from the inside out. And for that to happen, though, it takes our active cooperation with God. We have to participate in the process of transformation. And so I want to talk uh, this morning about what it takes to cooperate in this process of transformation. I'm going to give you some practical things you can do. And here's the first one. Number one, admit and own the problem. You want to be transformed. You want to cooperate in the process with God. The very first thing we have to do is own it. We have to admit our healing and our transformation starts with humility. Again, that's another great word to look up. If you want to look up humble or humility, in the scriptures, you'll find an Old and New Testament all the way through the Bible. And we're encouraged, we're challenged again and again and again to be humble, to humble ourselves. And our healing and our transformation starts right here as we admit it and we own it. Yes, I need help. If you've read uh, my book, Epic Grace, or you've been around here long enough, you've heard me talk about my dad, who was for many years a recovering prescription drug addict and alcoholic. Uh, probably the last 20, 25 years of his life, that was true of my, my father. Died in 1999, has been gone for a long time. But I will never forget, never, ever, ever, ever forget the first time my dad came to me. I was an adult. We had a really bad relationship. We did not get along. I didn't like him. He didn't like me. There's a lot of tension. I'm the oldest son and just, you know, I mean, a lot of baggage. And God began to work in my heart and heal me, and I was awesome. But then God began to work in his heart. And he went to AA, and I fully support AA, and I think it's a great, great thing. And my dad became a part of AA. 
And I will never forget that out of that, when he came to me, and it was one of those moments you just, it's burned into my soul forever. Well, my dad, with tears streaming down his face and snot running out of his nose, and then I start crying, and snot, we're snotting all over each other, hugging, as he did the very first step. He admitted he was powerless over his addiction and that his life had become unmanageable. He admitted he needed help. He admitted it, and it, it, that began the process of healing in my dad's life. The first and most important step to our healing and transformation, whatever it is that we need, but certainly in this issue of negativity, is we've got to admit our problem. We've got to own it. If owning the fact that, you know, that we're that, per, that person is difficult for you, you're not sure, well, I don't know, am I, am I that way or not? Uh, I'm going to give you some things you can chew on. One is, one way to find out whether you're that guy or gal is to ask the person sitting next to you. They'll probably be honest and tell you, yeah, actually, I do think you might be that, that guy or that gal. But here's some things, some real practical things. I'll just punch them real quick. That might, you can use this to measure whether you are that person or not. To begin with, negative people tend to focus on faults. They tend to focus on the stuff that's wrong. Faults in others are faults in themselves. Rather than being grace-filled people who see potential in others. I love grace-filled people who look at somebody and they go, wow, I see what God's doing. I see what God can do in you. That's a positive person. A negative person says, you suck you're a deadbeat, I can't stand you. All they do is see faults. Negative people, and here's another one. They tend to point out shortcomings with their comments, attitudes, and frowns. They are quick to point out everybody else's problems. And they, they often just look unhappy. You can hear it in their tone. You can see it in their body language. And you absolutely hear it in the words that they use. I was on a flight Monday down and back to Orange County this week for a conference, which was awesome. Got very blessed and fueled and, and refilled. It was awesome for me. But on the flight from here to Portland, the Horizon Airlines flight, I, I, I almost thought it was too late. I should have got my camera out, my phone out and taken video. Because I could have shown you this amazing example of two completely different flight attendants. One was happy and, and kind and supportive and seemed to enjoy her job. And when they, because it was a really bumpy flight, you know, we couldn't have the, the you know, I couldn't get my Diet Coke. But she said, she said, we're really sorry, you know, for safety. We're not going to be able to do that today, you know, and, and please forgive us. And she was great. The other one was as grumpy and negative and unhappy as any person I've seen in a long, long time. And it made me wonder, why do you do this? Uh, you're in the customer service business. You know, why don't you go get a job working at a computer and just yell at people all day? I don't know. She just seemed so unhappy. You saw it in her body language. You heard it in her tone. And it's, the, the, the contrast was night and day. They're quick to point out others' shortcomings. Here's another one. Negative people will approach situations from a pessimistic viewpoint. They always assume the worst in just about any given situation. Uh, for them, the sky is always falling. They don't look at something, again, and see potential. Well, they look at it and say, oh, man. You know, they walk outside on a beautiful sunny day and go, eh, it's probably going to rain. You know, they just, that's their, it's their bent, their nature. And then one last way to identify them is sometimes negative people will disguise their negativity with uh, humor, usually it's sarcastic humor. Uh, and it's, it, and you are the brunt of it all too often. You know, I, I don't, I'm going to remember Roseanne Barr. Anybody remember Roseanne Barr? All the boomers. She was uh, on sitcom years ago. And she was hilarious. And she was the most negative, critical person. She was just, yeah. Just so sarcastic. And, you know, I remember watching that thinking, well, this is hilarious. But then I also remember thinking, man, if I was married to that person, 
I would hurt myself. I would just, this is just, this would be horrible. And I had a guy come to me, and I kid you not, he came to me, and it was after services years ago. I said, Pastor Kurt, Pastor Kurt, I'm married to Roseanne Barr. I said, really? No, I don't mean, literally, I mean, I'm married to someone just like Roseanne Barr. He said, I feel like roadkill on the road, and she just keeps driving back and forth over me. It's like she runs over me and then puts it in reverse and comes back again. That's what I feel like. And I said, I'm so sorry. It's not a happy place to be. We don't want to be that person. And I would suggest to you that if a couple of those four things that I mentioned sound like you, then maybe you are a person who needs to own your problem. And you can't get better until you do. Here's the second thing, second part of this process of transformation, critical part, is that you need to create an intentional plan for growth. Create an intentional plan for growth. It is one thing to say, yep, that's me. But if all you do is admit it and just wallow in it, then you're not going to change. You have to, I love the word intention, intentional. You have to have an intentional plan for growth. Again, part of the process is we cooperate with God. An intentional plan for growth, uh, it's not something that generally happens by accident. And so I'm going to give you some suggested steps here. Here's some things you can do that will help. First, decide to change your focus. This plan that I'm encouraging you to activate in your life starts with deciding. We humans have free will. We have the ability to choose. I talked about it last week. We can choose where we'll place our focus. Colossians 3.2, it says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Love that verse. Paul says, set your minds. What's he saying? We can choose. We can decide where we're going to put our focus. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We have the power. You have the power to determine your focus. And Paul says, set your mind on earth, not on earthly things, but on the eternal. In other words, I love to say, just zoom out and see the bigger picture. And when you do, that's when you'll find hope and joy and peace in Christ rather than difficult or negative things all the time. Because when we stop and think about it, no matter what we're going through now, this life is not the end of the story. No matter what I'm struggling with right now, that's not going to be where I exist for eternity. So we zoom out. We see, we think on heavenly things, not just earthly. Here's the second thing you can do. Counter the negative with positive truth. And I'm not, this isn't Zig Ziglar here. This is the Bible. Counter the negative with positive truth. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever, whatever is admirable, if anything, you see his desperation there, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul lists eight things here. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. He says, dwell there. Think about that. Now, he's not saying deny reality or ignore things that are not good. He's not saying that at all. He's saying choose where you will put your focus. And we're challenged to put our focus. Define even one thing. You know, here's my conviction again. I truly believe that no matter what horrible thing we're in the midst of, that there's always at least one thing, one thing we can be thankful for. Now, maybe it's, God, uh, this sucks, this hurts, I don't like this, I really wish this would change, but I see that you're changing me. Like we talked about last week, that I'm growing in my perseverance because of it. Maybe it's, God, I really don't understand this, this is really tearing me up, it's really, really hard, but I choose to thank you because I believe that you're bigger than my problems. I'm going to put my focus on you. Maybe it's looking in the midst of your struggle and saying, God, I really hate this, but I do know this. 
you've made me a more empathetic person. You've given me compassion for others around me. And if that's one good thing that's come out of this incredible struggle that I'm in, then I want to thank you for that. No one's going to make you think differently. You've got to take responsibility. Take every thought captive. Refusing to get sucked into the negativity. And again, let me say it one more time. As a believer, the good news is you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to help you to overcome those evil thoughts, to help you make good choices. You're not on your own in this, guys. Well, there's one very important part of the plan that's the intentional plan that you need, and here's the third thing I want to encourage you to do. Ask a trusted friend to hold you accountable. Ask a trusted friend to hold you accountable. For some crazy reason, probably pride, this is one of the most difficult steps for most of us. We, and I include myself on that, we are stubbornly independent. We are, we are fiercely, you know, loners. We, we often think, I can do this, I don't need help. We don't like to admit that we need help. We don't want to get help from others. But we need to admit that we cannot do this on our own. I said at the beginning that our healing and transformation starts with humility. And there are a lot of definitions for humility, a lot of ways to unpack that. But one of the ways is, I'm just, I don't have it in myself. I'm, I need others. We need others to help us along the journey. And by the way, that's why God gave us the body of Christ, the church. That's why he gives us friends, people that will walk with us in this journey. Because guys, you cannot do it on your own. You cannot get there on your own. We need others to come alongside us, to lift us up when we're weak, to help us up when we fail, we stumble and we fall. We need others to ask us the tough questions from time to time, questions we refuse to ask ourselves. You know, I have a few friends in my life that are just like that. They're guys that I trust with my life. And that sometimes they really tick me off because they'll ask me the tough, hard questions. But I need people like that in my life, and so do you. One of the most famous teachings of Solomon is found in Ecclesiastes verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Let me read it to you. He said, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Solomon says we need each other. We need help. Want to get better? Want to grow and change? Ask for help. Ask for help. And if you don't have a person like that in your life, ask God to give you that kind of relationship with someone. Ask him to give you that kind of trusted friend that you can have. And you think, well, I just don't know anybody like in my life. There's nobody. I'm so I don't have any friends. Well, here's something my mama told me years ago. We moved a lot when I was a kid, and we'd show up at school. And I remember once saying to her, I, can't, I, don't, I don't have any friends. And she said, honey, go find the other kid that's sit, sitting by himself in the cafeteria and befriend that guy. Look for people around you who are saying the same thing you're saying. They're just not saying it out loud. Go find somebody who looks like they need a friend to be friendly. But ask God. Ask him to give you that person, and he will. Well, here's one final part of the process. First, we own it. We get humble. Second, we create this intentional plan. We really cooperate with this work of the Holy Spirit by making a plan and following some very helpful, practical things. And then the last thing I need to tell you today, because this is important, is that if and when you fail, repent and stay the course. If, and I probably just say when you fail, repent and stay the course. I know that the word repent has a lot of negative baggage for people. A lot of but it's a good word. It just means I've been doing this, and I'm going this way, and that's not working out so well. My way is not good, and so I'm going to turn. I'm going to make a choice to go God's way. I'm going to repent. 
On this side of eternity, guys, there's no such thing as perfection. Not a one of us. I don't care. You might go weeks. Maybe you'll go days. Maybe you'll go hours. Some of us, we go minutes without failing, without thinking or saying or doing something stupid. But even on your best day, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. And by the way, I'm not being pessimistic or negative. I'm being realistic. I'm just saying, listen, this is the flesh and blood. This is, our, this is the condition we have on this side of eternity. Yes, are we getting better? I hope so. Are we growing? Absolutely. Is God transforming us and making us more and more like Jesus? You bet he is. Do I want to become more and more like him and less and less like the sinner I was born in this world? Yes, I do. But I also understand that there's this reality, this, this tension in me where there are things that I, I, I do all the time that I don't want to do. I fail. And if that's you, if you're in that same broken club that I'm in, then don't beat yourself up. Don't give up. What I want to encourage you to do is run to Jesus. Run to him. Because that's where you'll find the mercy and the grace that you need, the help you need. One last passage, and it's one of my favorites in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 to 16, here's what the writer said. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, let me stop there and say, what's he saying? He's saying, because of who Jesus is, not because of who I am, but because of who he is, I'm going to take a hold of him. Let's hold firmly to him and to the faith we have because of who he is. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So that paraphrase, that is God gets us. Jesus understands. And here's the great news. Hebrews 4, 16. Some of you need to write this down, put it on an index card, put it on your phone, stick it someplace, you'll read it every day this week. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The writer says, let's approach the throne of God with, co with confidence. And is he talking self-confidence there? No. With God confidence. We approach knowing the character of God, the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God, knowing that God is good and he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us. That's how much he loves you. You know, back in the time that this was written, uh, for anyone to approach a king's throne was a really scary thing. Terrifying. Kings had the power to just kill you. They didn't like the way you looked. They didn't like the fact that you bowed, didn't bow long enough or far enough. They didn't like the way you smelled. They could kill you. They could say, guard, take that guy out and cut his head off for just any reason that they wanted to. And so when the writer of Hebrews uses this illustration, this analogy of drawing near the throne of God, a lot of people, they're going, Ugh. Man, I, that's never a good thing to end up being called into the king's attention and have to be in front of him. That, that, could take, that could be really ugly. He could take my life. But what the writer here is saying is, no, it's just the opposite. We can approach God's throne with confidence because of who he is. And that's where we're going to find, where we receive his mercy and grace, and listen to it, to help us in our time of need. How many of you ever had needs? The great news here is that we can run to the one who has the answers and run to that throne where we'll find his mercy and his grace. When you fail, repent and run to God because he gets you, he understands you, and you'll find his mercy and his grace there.
As Christ followers, we ought to be the happiest people on the planet. We ought to be the most joyful people around. But too often we look like people waiting for, you know, the dentist in the dentist's office. A couple weeks ago I was getting my teeth cleaned and I walked into my dentist's office and I sat there for about 10, 15 minutes. And you ever, nobody's ever happy at the dentist's office. They're not like, yoo-hoo, this is so great. Hey, how about you? You're going to see the dentist. Great. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Isn't this good? No, it's all you. You know, people are, they do not, most of them, and if you're a dentist, I had one in the first service, Gary, I'm, I'm not slamming dentists here. I'm just saying, that's the way some of us approach this thing called the Christian faith. We act like we're, you know, going to get hurt or that's going to be ugly. It's not going to be fun, and we're terrified, and that's the exact opposite. We ought to be the most joyful people on the planet. Why? Can you imagine being cleared of all your crimes, everything you've ever done wrong, and being freed from prison? That's what God has done for us. Can you imagine heaven? (laughs) An indescribable place of beauty and and joy where we're going to see God face to face and be there forever. That's what awaits for us. That's why we ought to have joy. Can you imagine living life now? I love this. That it's not just the sweet by and by what I'm going to get someday but that I can live today, you can live today with purpose and with a sense of God-given destiny. That's what God has for you, and that ought to bring thankfulness and joy to your heart. Of all the people on the planet, the life of a Christ follower ought to be one marked by thanksgiving and joy. We ought to be the most thankful, the most joyful people ever. People ought to look at us and go, man, I... I know you're going through, I spoke with a woman this morning, going through chemo. I know you're going through chemo, and it's, it's, that must be really hard. But you seem to be joyful. You're, it's like you're okay. What are you smoking? What are you, I don't understand. How can that be? We ought to, it ought to mark our lives, thankfulness and joy. One last story, and I'm done. Years ago when I was a kid, last year of grade school, the first couple of years of junior high, I lived in St. Louis, Missouri. And it was a season in my family's life that was extremely difficult. That's where my dad uh, began to go off the rails and uh, began to get a drug, addicted to drugs, prescription drugs, Nebutal, Valium, a bunch of other stuff. Um, he went through some horrific emotional, mental, spiritual times. It created all sorts of tension between he and my mom. They yelled and screamed at each other every day. It was just, it was the kind of home you didn't want to come home to after school. That's how, where I lived. My dad um, was never really a very affectionate, kind, fatherly person. But during this time, it was just really, really tough. But in the midst of that season in my life, God brought uh, a woman named Ruth Egbert into our family. Ruthie uh, Egbert was an old, frail woman. Uh, We ended up calling her Grandma Ruthie because she was so special to us. We didn't have grandmas in town, and she just adopted us. Literally just said, I'm going to love you like my own grandkids. And she took all four of, uh, you know, my, my, myself and my three siblings into her home for overnight. Or she took us shopping. She took us to do fun things together. She got us out of the house at times, and she just knew we needed to get out. She'd take us for these adventures downtown St. Louis. And I'll never forget, we'd, you know, they'd sell hot pretzels on the street corners there. And, and these guys would walk up to the windows and offer it. And she'd buy us hot pretzels. And I'd just eat, like, until I got sick. And love, love, love Grandma Ruthie. And she had plenty of things in her life that weren't going well. She had a husband who didn't love God, didn't love the church. In fact, he was anti-everything. She only had one son, and he had grown up and left home, and she wanted more kids, but they couldn't have more. 
And she had her own physical issues, stuff she was dealing with in her body. Frail, older woman. But not one time, not one time did I ever hear anything negative or critical come out of her mouth. In fact, just the opposite. She was a woman who just was joyful and thankful. And it just oozed out of her and affected, infected everybody around her. And I know, I know, guys, that Grandma Ruthie had played this God-given role, a gift to our family during that time, that I can only imagine how horrible it would have been without her. I want to be a Grandma Ruthie. I want you to be a Grandma Ruthie, not a negative, you know, Debbie Downer, not a, not a guy that's, that's always critical and cynical, but let's be more like Jesus and more joyful, more thankful than we have been. Guys, right, let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you love us, <laughs> that you understand us, that you get us, that you are patient and kind and merciful, that we can run to you, that we, we can come to you with our brokenness and find the help we need. And I pray, Lord, that many this morning sitting here right now or watching online, that they're making a choice to say, God, I'm a candidate for transformation. Work in me. Change my heart. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave here today with some very practical things that we can do that will help us cooperate with that process of transformation. Change our hearts, Lord. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and, and you've not yet made a decision to be a Christ follower. And yet today... You just know, in your gut, it's time. Maybe it's dawned on you. It's, it's hit you hard today. You know what? And I, I want to be transformed. I, I want to change. And I've tried it my way. I've tried it all sorts of things, and, and I get it. I, I, just, I need God. I need that mercy and grace that he offers. And today you're ready to come and to surrender your life to him, to embrace the gift of salvation and forgiveness that he offers to you. And if that's you, and you're here, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And we do this every week, but what I'm asking you to do is just to make this your prayer today, to own these words as if they were yours. If this is what you want, if you're ready to say yes, to embrace the grace that Jesus offers, then just make this prayer yours right now. Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus. You sent him for me. You sent him because I need a Savior. I get it, and I admit it. I own my problem. I am a sinner who needs to be saved by grace. I need your help. So today, right here, right now, I surrender my life to you. Today, right here, right now, I choose to become a Christ follower, to give my life to you. Thank you for giving your life for me. Now, if that's you, that's what you want. Just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's what I need. That's what I want. And the Bible says the instant you do, the moment you do, you become his child. The Holy Spirit takes up residency inside of you. You're his. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're a child of God. Lord, for those making that decision right now, show them what it means. Show them it's the beginning of this incredible journey from here to eternity. But show them that they now, from this moment on, are yours. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song this morning. I love this song. It's about the amazing grace that we've experienced. Some of you experienced it just now. 
but most of us experienced it from some time. But let's worship, let's celebrate that, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Love that song, love that truth. It's what he's done for us. It's what he'll continue to do for you. I encourage you today, if you began to Christ, became Christ follower today, started your life as a, as a Christian, or if you've been a prodigal son or daughter for a while, and today you came home, tell somebody, let us know. On the tables by the doors is the packet. It says, for new believers, got a Bible, some material get started, and you'll walk with Jesus. Our next First Steps class is December 6th, a couple of weeks away, and then uh, baptisms on December 13th. Get baptized in water. It's the beginning of a great journey for you. If you need prayer, prayer team be down front. Communion's available on both sides of the room. If you missed the prayer request, the offering, again, the black boxes by the doors. You can slip that in there as you leave today. But here's my hope. Here's my prayer for you guys. Go this week and make the decision to choose to be different to cooperate with the process that God is working in you to make you a person who shines with the love and the joy and the thanksgiving of Jesus. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today. See you next week.